It's a very special episode of the Producer Podcast today as we welcome back the very first guest of the show, Matthew Jordan. Last time we talked with Matthew, we were discussing his first venture into the realm of feature filmmaking with the film Counter Column. Today we're excited to be sitting down to discuss Counter Column's distribution and what Matthew has learned since completing that first feature film. So without further ado, let's get started. Thank you, Matthew, for uh, for coming back on the show again. Yeah, such a pleasure to be on the show, and uh, I I love listening to the podcast. It actually has helped me grow uh, as a producer, so that's awesome. Thank you so much for putting it out there for everyone. Oh, not a problem. It's been it's been really fun to uh, put it together and and just network with everybody through the process. But yeah, absolutely. So. I think it's been, honestly, I think it's like two and a half years or close to three now since we recorded that original episode. Wow. uh, Wow. With you. (laughs) Man, (laughs) what made you do me as the first one? (laughs) I I think, honestly, it was just like young feature film person. Like, that would be cool. Like, you were one of the few people I knew who had produced a feature film that would totally be willing to come on my show as a nobody. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Absolutely. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, maybe to start just kind of give an overview to people about where counter column has gone. Cause I know last time we talked, it was like in that weird spell of you had all this, these plans made and then COVID came in and just like ruined them all. And you were, kind of trying to figure out like what the process forward was going to be yeah yeah a lot has happened uh i actually had to go back and (laughs) listen to (laughs) my interview again uh because i it's been a while and so uh from that point i realized that we hadn't actually done any theatrical hadn't done any sort of distribution at that point because i think we recorded it in the midst of covid Mm -hmm. when we did the podcast um so yeah counter column had this kind of delay in post-production because we uh, did get hit with COVID. You know, we got hit with COVID right when we were about to release. I think our initial release plans were going to be a local, a local premiere in April of 2020. Yeah. So COVID not, (laughs) it was crazy. I have stories about this that I'll, that I might share later on in this podcast, but we ended up getting pushed back and we ended up coming out locally in theaters in our local theater in August of 20. I want to say it was August. I might have to double check that. Might've been September. Oh man. This is bad. <laughs> it's been a sec. Um, October. It was October of 2020. And then, we came out in San Antonio local theaters um, in April of 2021 and then had a limited theatrical release in the U.S. in May of 2021. And then we pushed out um, to DVD. We did a self-distributed DVD release in, uh, I think we, we did, we tried to, launch it by black friday of 2021 and got a lot of sales through that but the dvds ended up being (laughs) really um delayed in production because of covid and so no one got their christmas presents in time (laughs) and so that was kind of sad um but people were understanding and they got all their dvds in like mid-january of 2022 and then we uh just got on amazon prime video on demand i think that was just this past um september maybe we did a that official release september 2022 so yeah we've just been kind of making our way through and um did self-distribution for home entertainment thus far 
so I guess, and I don't know, you know, this is so long ago, maybe you don't even remember this, but, like, compared to how Counter Column, like, ended up getting released, what was kind of that original plan? Like, had COVID not come in, were there were you going to try to do the release differently than it ended up uh, yeah. going COVID aside? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and hindsight, it is such an amazing thing to look back and see that God used COVID very instrumentally in the life of this project. Um, before COVID hit, we, you know, this... I think the whole film, it's been our first time. The whole distribution has been our first time. And so we really came in without much of a plan. We were trying to talk to people, trying to get some advice. But at the end of the day, I think we just had a lot of naive thoughts on how it would go. And what we had planned we with the theater, our local, we had like the smaller of our local theaters agree to let us have a one night showing for like a whole week. And it was kind of this fathom event type of vibe, you know, where mm-hmm. it's like, hey, we'll do it on at 7 p.m. on Friday night, Saturday night, Sunday night, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday night. And uh, we had to kind of convince them that, oh, let us let us have a Friday and a Saturday and a Sunday because those weekends are really critical for the theaters to put the, the most high selling films in their theater. Right. And so that was our original plan, and we started marketing towards that. And we actually had planned to come uh, bring the film to the Christian Worldview Film Festival in March. We were going to have Countercom play there. And then that got canceled. And within it was like within a matter of two weeks, one week, two weeks, our whole entire plan changed. The Christian Worldview Film Festival got canceled and then, or postponed. And then the theater you know, close their doors because of COVID. But even further than that, the crazy thing on our end was that the, the our local theater actually went out of business. Oh, wow. Like it went bankrupt. And so that was a whole wrench in it. So not only are the theaters closed because of COVID, but I'm working with, I have to track down a new person to work with because, you know, over the course of the next couple of months, the Goodrich Quality Theater line, in our Indiana and Michigan and uh, maybe there's some in Florida that that got bought out by another company. And so they did start operating again. And then we knocked on the door, talked to somebody, they gave us a new contact. So what happened during COVID was we're like, well, we don't have anything to do really. Um, And we, we really still wanted to do a theatrical release of some sort. We still wanted to do a, put it out there um, for people to see in a, in a better way than just sticking it on like a streaming site or Amazon right away. And um, so we decided to wait, but while we waited, we had this distributor we had talked to before and they had given us a list of things that kind of, they felt were cheesy in the film. And at that point we had kind of been like, well, we're locked. We already have our distribution uh, starting because we have the theater thing lined up. We have the film festival we're coming up to. And I think I mentioned this on the podcast when we, when we talked way back when, but we were like, Oh, well we have this list. Let's actually make the changes. We weren't going to make the changes, but now that we had this break for COVID, we made the changes cut seven minutes of the film ended up being incredible. Uh, it, it, it just raised the level of the film. You know, it was all cheesy stuff, all stuff that screamed Christian film <laughs> Um, and it was like, it's such a better product now. It did cost us some money to do because we had to, you know, get some music tracks recomposed and so our sound design had already been done. So it had to be shortened and, you know, but long story short, it just made the film way better. We got to show that version at the festival, even though we were judged on our old version. We did go to the Christian worldview film festival, um, that year in August, I think. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's where we're blessed to win Best Gospel Presentation, Audience Choice Award, and runner-up to Best Music. Um, Sean Kish, Kish, he did an incredible job uh, composing our score for us. I love, love the guy. And so that happened finally. But 
if I just back up a little bit, as we're in that weird, awkward transition because of COVID and our theaters being rebought out and stuff like that, I get in contact with the new film buyer. And so because of COVID, there was a gap in the theater, in the film market, because everybody was postponing their theater, theater releases. And so God used COVID to actually kind of create some space for us. And he like, just was like, oh, we'll run it like a real film. Like, you know, you can come out on a Thursday night premiere and then we'll do Friday, you know, a whole week, Friday through Thursday, and we'll keep running it if it does well. We had a whole contract in place where, like, we split profits with the theater. And it was all self-distribution. So we, when you go through a distributor to theaters, the distributor makes a contract with the theater and they will split, like, 50-50 first week. You know, like, there's different splits that mm-hmm. they'll do the different weeks that it runs. And then whatever money the distributor gets, then they'll split that with you. And so you kind of get this like smaller percentage. Since we were just doing our local theater, we actually just talked to them and figured it out with them ourselves. And we actually created like a DCP ourselves through like DaVinci Resolve and like did all the stuff to just set it up to, to play. And, um, on a, on a, in a theater, it was, a lot of it was a big learning curve, but we, we made it happen, and um, God just opened the door because they were looking for content. And then what's crazy is when we released it, not only released in one theater like a regular film with like you know five showings a day, it released in both of our local theaters, and it did really well in both of our local theaters. It actually set a record for that year for the good rich quality theaters because. COVID had completely knocked out their business. Mm-hmm. That was really exciting, really fun. We did a whole lot of um, marketing ourselves in our local area and spent some money on that. Um, and it just ended up being a special, special time to see it do well, to see the numbers come back positive. Um, and then that launched us into um, thinking about, well, we filmed in, you know, the Lafayette, Indiana area. So this is all in the context of Lafayette, Indiana, um, kind of this area that we, it's our home base where we live, but we also filmed in San Antonio, Texas and Gilbert Sorolla, who directed counter column has roots there and a lot of connections there. So we're like, we really want to bring the film to San Antonio as well. And so then the crazy thing is God used that film buyer to connect us to the film buyer who is manages the Santicos theaters in San Antonio. And they said, yeah, we'll bring your film to our theaters. And we got to release in five San Antonio theaters um, in, in April of 2021 and do a whole nother premiere down there for our San Antonio cast and crew. Um, and that was just a really cool experience as well. Um, so yeah, that that was kind of our like self-distributed theatrical mm-hmm. run. So then I guess like how did you get then from doing like those self-distributed theatrical runs to then like the limited nationwide uh, release that you did? In the process of our self-distributed theatrical run, we actually did some exploration um, with some testing the waters, reaching out to some different marketing agencies that specialize in Christian film marketing. And we were just talking to anybody and everybody who talked to us and just kind of explore, like, what does it look like to market with you guys? You know, what does it look like to do a, a theatrical release? And, um, that's successful and that, you know, we talked to, to, we figured out who worked with the Kendrick brothers and their one brothers. And like, you know, there's these marketing agencies that exist out there that really specialize in this thing. And so we talked to a guy who has this network of people who promote Christian films. Mm -hmm. So he will send them, uh, Hey, these are the latest Christian films coming to theaters. And, go encourage all your people to go watch him. And so he has this kind of network he's developed to do that. And we got to chat with him. He really loved countercom was down for helping us promote it. And then he was like, Hey, you know, I have this company that's looking that I, he networks pretty well. He, he knew this company that was looking 
for Christian films to put in theaters, uh, and they wanted to specialize as a company of just just pushing out theatrical releases of independent films. Mm-hmm. And so they're trying to dip their get their feet wet in the Christian space. They saw Counter Column, they loved it, offered us a really great deal to put it out in theaters, and uh, we uh, prayed about it and thought, hey, we'll give it a shot. They were able to get us into, f- I think it was 49 theaters at, at one point around the U.S., and uh, that happened in May of 2021. And so it was just kind of a, a connection, and it seemed like a good opportunity for us. Um, it It was just the theatrical window um so we weren't like signing on for home entertainment as well and that was uh, an attractive offer to us but kind of still sticking with your theatrical because i know i helped as like kind of one of the local people marketing the film when it came to my theater you had like created these digital press kits that yes people could get you know that had the trailer it had stuff they could use on social media and so i'm just curious like is there anything you learned in the process of like creating that of like well people were always asking for this item and we didn't have it i'd create that next time or this specific Mm -hmm. one seemed Mm -hmm. to be what really got us traction like i would tell everybody to really push that next time yeah the the name of what we made was called an epk and it's called an electronic press kit and so we made one for a general a general epk a church epk and so the general one was like anybody who wanted to we tried to just customize it a little bit and i i'm not sure if we ended up making a military epk but you know it's kind of that idea that hey if someone from the military wants to promote my film as a military film and they aren't necessarily into all the the Christian stuff. Uh, like their their reach, their audience would care more that it's a military film. Which, to be honest, a lot of military people have watched Counter Column. They love it, and they think it's realistic. And the Christian stuff doesn't even like bother them, even if they're non-believers. Which is is awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. So so like we might make an EPK that. Um, highlights that oh it was directed by a veteran you know and something that just kind of focuses more on the army element if I took it a step further down the road you know you may be throwing some videos and pictures that relate a lot to that we we interviewed a few veterans that had seen the film Mm -hmm. and they gave their thoughts on it so that would be a perfect piece to put in there Um, also like our trailer we had two different versions of our trailer one was more Christianese, I guess, Christiany trailer, and then one it had like a you know hot pop Christian song in it, and then the other one was a lot more like raw, and um, it didn't give as much away too, which is kind of cool. Uh, I kind of like that trailer better mm-hmm. in that sense, and it had our original music and all that stuff. But you know, it just depending on your audience, one will come and see it if it has all those Christian elements, and then another audience will come see it if it doesn't have all those Christian elements in your trailer. And then the like a church EPK, which is really your main marketing for Christian films, the churches. Um, anybody, someone in their church who's willing to like promote your film uh, to their congregation, to their small group, to their ministries they're involved in, that church EPK would have you know the trailer with the the Christian elements in it, the kind of a just some some things that highlight more of like our heart behind the film i think we didn't get video content into our epks soon enough okay and i i think the big there's kind of two big things one is you know and this came from this finally clicked to me when i listened to kevin people's interview on your (laughs) podcast it was that we didn't ever make a like heart of counter column video Mm -hmm. like the heart behind counter column and a lot of people who follow us on social media for Counter Column would they know our heart? Like the original promo video for Kickstarter really explained our heart behind why we made the film. But I think we lost sight of getting that out there for audiences to see um, as we started to promote the film more. Well, we did a little bit of it, but we never really put together a strong video piece that was um, more of 
a detailed interview of us talking about like, we want to see people come to know Christ and we want to see the church encouraged to evangelize and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I, I feel like that, that vision, um, piece could have really helped everything and it would have really helped our promoting. But then the other side, the other thing, I, and maybe you will, uh, chime in and testify that this was true. We didn't have enough time for our, to, to like effectively promote for our release. Okay. So like, I don't know if you remember, but it, it was like, you probably heard about it coming to your town and then it was like one or two weeks later and it's released. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for, for a lot of the people that were in the first batch, it was like, and the people in the second batch, we didn't even know necessarily that, Oh, it's coming. (laughs) And then like the first batch, it was like, uh, we just didn't get it out soon enough. We didn't get the connections made soon enough or the electronic press kits sent out soon enough. And um, we didn't really have the adequate time or the money or the personnel needed to mm-hmm. really like market effectively for our limited theatrical release. You just don't realize how much of a theatrical release is about the marketing. And so, for example, the best the film ever did was our local cities. And that's no, that's no like accident. You know, if you look at the stats of like, if you can somehow find the stats of like the Kendrick brother films, where do the Kendrick brother films do the best? It's in Albany, Georgia of all places. So like it's, it's always the home base that does the best for your film. Um, but we actually did push really hard for our local theatrical release. Um, we called basically every church, we sent so many screeners out to the to pastors to check out to promote to the congregation. We had a lot of people promoting us, pushing the you know carrying the baton. Um, San Antonio, it was it was a, a little bit more of a struggle because we didn't uh, have the same connection as we did here. Uh, Gilbert lived there originally, but he's been ten years removed from that area, um, and so it was a little bit more of an uphill battle getting the same type of ground effort going in Mm -hmm. San Antonio that we had in our local Lafayette, Indiana. Like for example, we printed out posters for Lafayette um, that were specific that said like local the, like locally made film and like um, you know, some things that were like about how it was a local based thing. We like literally went door to door and like, put up flyers for our film. So like, you know, we had a lot of volunteer effort, a lot of push to, to get it to succeed. And, and God just blew us away, blew the theater away with the results in, uh, in our local hometown. Nice. Um, so I do want to ask, cause you mentioned, uh, how the one trailer for the film had the one, like kind of Christian pop song. And honestly, when I saw the counter column the first time, like, I was like, wow, like they got that (laughs) because at least like for my local radio station, like they would play that song all the time. So to me, I'm like, you know, this is like a a big name song if it's always playing on the radio. Um, Yeah. So I guess like I'd be just curious to hear more about what your process was like, not only like deciding that was the song you wanted, but then getting that licensed, uh, you know, and things maybe you learned since this was like new ground to you yeah oh yeah it was all all new ground (laughs) it's the it's it's like it's like a hard thing but also a cool thing because you realize how much is possible Mm -hmm. when you're trying to struggle through all this for the first time you're realizing like wow i can actually do stuff like this and get it like a actual song in a movie and uh but then the downside is like yeah i have no idea (laughs) what's a good price for that and like <laughs> i'm sure we we probably spent more than we needed to on it but um so there's this thing it's called um sync licensing for for music and you're there's two sides of it there's the master license and the publishing license and when an artist will write a song um they are the publishing side okay and so they own the rights to their song and so they own half of the song basically like half of it they it's it's, it's an interesting 
it's an interesting situation in the music industry. It really is because yes. basically anyone can take your song legally, from my understanding, and go record it and put it out. But they are so like there's nothing preventing someone from covering your song, but you do get royalties off of it. Mm-hmm. And so um, when you write that song you're going to earn money off of it. So someone performs it, they, that like a 9% of the profits I think goes to the original writer. Okay. But so you, you on the publishing side and then when it, when that artist records the song, so we are messengers recorded, maybe it's okay. And they recorded it. That's called the master that recording. And, um, the company that puts that master out, they own the master rights. And so when you work on your sync licensing for a film, you actually have to work with both sides of the equation. So you have to figure out um, who owns the master of the song and then who owns the publishing side. And if there were multiple writers, which there were three writers on the song, you're having to work with potentially three companies on the publishing side in addition to the one company on the master side. And so we worked with a total of three companies, one for the master, two for, you know, two of the writers were with one company, one with the other. And it it definitely gets complicated when you do, you know, but there's this term called most favorable nation. Mm -hmm. And when you are doing your contracts, there's this phrase that says, if anybody in that pot gets a better deal, that better deal will be reflected to the whole because what happens is you pay one price say it's like say you're paying like four thousand dollars for this song um to use it forever in your your movie um that four thousand dollars gets split in half between the the master and the publishing right so and then the publishing gets split by how many people wrote the song so that's kind of how it works and you just have to find the right websites and go to the right people. And I highly, highly recommend getting advice from someone who has licensed a lot of music mm-hmm. for their movies. Josh Walsh is probably an incredible resource. The guy who was on your show, um, because they're going to tell you, okay, don't pay more than this amount of money. You know, you'll probably mm-hmm. be able to tell them they pay this much or whatever. We had no idea. So, uh, yeah, but yeah, it worked out. We, we have licensed it. We had to do two different rounds, one initially for three years. And then we just finished up negotiations for the, the final license that locks it in for life. And, nice. uh, then we had to pay just a little bit extra for use in our trailer. Okay. So I'm curious to kind of get your take because, uh, I've talked to other people on, on the podcast about the whole like topic of film festivals and like, is it worth sending your film to festivals and stuff like that? So I just kind of love to hear like one, uh, like what, I know you mentioned the Christian worldview film festival. Was that the only festival that you tried to get counter column in or were there others? And then like, was there kind of a strategy or something behind trying to even just get it into that one festival. I think we wanted to do more than what we ended up doing. I think we, uh, we were, we did kind of think, Hey, maybe we could go to multiple, multiple film festivals. The reason we came to the Christian will do film festival. is cause that's like our home base as you know, uh, the Christian will do film festival and filmmakers guild is just an incredible experience, an incredible event. And Gilbert and I actually attended, um, back when we started writing counter column. And then I continued to attend throughout the years. And then the year before, or the year we filmed, I got like most of the connections for our crew through the Christian worldview film festival. And it's really, that's the only reason we could have, you know, one of the only reasons we were able to make the film, God used that event um, and all the people that come to it. And it's really awesome because it's like, those are the people that are passionate about Christian filmmaking. They're passionate about what they're doing in the Christian film industry. And they want to 
to come behind projects that they feel are going to have an impact for the kingdom of God. And I guess we're able to give a lot of people a chance, I guess. Mm -hmm. Some people are kind of looking for that chance to work on a feature film. And um, so we're able to give a lot of people a chance. Um, And and it just somehow all came together. But that was like our home base. Uh, So we really felt like we needed to go there. And, you know, we had... You know, I think we talked here and there about other film festivals, but I think we got so wrapped up and and focused on the theatrical and stuff like that that we just kind of, you know, just didn't have the time to to keep pushing for film festivals. And at the end of the day, I I still, I think there is a benefit to film festivals. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there is, uh, it's a great place to network and for potential distributors to see your film. Um, but I know, I don't know if it would be in the release strategy moving forward. I really don't. Um, I think when a distributor is already lined up for your film, their film festivals can be a free advertising, I guess. So maybe you see it as more of an advertising, but I wouldn't see a film festival as like, uh, the answer to distribution, if you know what I'm saying. Right. It's maybe just a small piece to help generate interest, especially if it's a Christian film. You're trying to tap into that very niche Christian audience. The film festival, the Christian film festivals are really where your diehard Christian film fans are. Um, so putting it in front of people uh, that want to see it and will buy it, I would just say definitely sell the DVD if you're going to be at the film festival Mm -hmm. or have something they can buy right away. So you can capitalize on that opportunity to make some money for sure. We didn't do that. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, bring, bringing up the DVD. Um, I just love to hear your thoughts. Cause I know like you mentioned the DVD, well, it came out for order on like black Friday, but then it was COVID delayed the DVDs actually coming out but there was still kind of a pretty big gap between the DVD and digital like what was kind of your thought there because nowadays you're just seeing it seems like pretty much every company like they're releasing it digitally at pretty much the same time you know as the DVD or and Blu-ray or not even doing DVD anymore so what was for sure what was your thought there by like having that bigger gap yeah well, for our very niche window of people that actually knew about the film and would buy the film, um, we kind of saw DVD as almost like an additional window in the distribution windows. Um, and it kind of the chance to make the most money on the film potentially, Okay. uh, after our theatrical. Um, so we just decided to do the DVD first. Um, we did not plan to wait as long as we waited to put it out on Amazon and digital. Um, to be honest, it's just one of those things where it's like, we didn't make a ton of money on the film. Uh, a lot of the money that we made with our theatrical releases, we had already spent on marketing or we turned around and spent on marketing. Um, and so we've had our, it's been a long journey and a big reason is because, um, you know, just lack of finances and, um, at some point you realize, oh, you know, the money I'm spending on this isn't necessarily coming back to me. Mm-hmm. And so then it just kind of, you're like, oh, maybe I shouldn't, uh, maybe this needs to be more of a side thing since we're not making money on it at this point. And so, so I think one of, and this kind of brings up uh, the whole idea of self self distribution, because we decided to just self distribute for everything except the one limited theatrical release we worked with a company on. Right. And you can do it yourself and you can make a little bit more money, but at the end of the day, if you don't do it well or you don't have the time to do it, then you're not going to be making that money in any way. And um, I just think that, you know, this uh, knowing what we know now, we're wanting to work with the distributor from the get-go next mm-hmm. time and just – I think the whole distribution marketing phase um, was a real drain, honestly, 
doing it ourselves. And, um, it's the hardest part, oddly enough, sort of, you know, I think production was really crazy. Um, but then the whole distribution phase had its own craziness and it's kind of like, yeah, it's been on the back burner, mm-hmm. you know, to be honest, it's just become something that was on the back burner. Cause it was all up to us. Um, it was all up to us to do it because we just decided we'll just do it ourselves. Um, and, and I don't want to repeat that, you know, and that's kind of been the delay, the delay with it the whole time, you know, even like I, I got married right before our DVD release. And so, you know, we would have probably released sooner on DVD if we had a distributor taking care of it for us. Right. You know, it's just your personal, uh, events in your life, which are really important, are going to postpone, you know, whatever's on the back burner. And uh, if you're doing it all yourself. I'd love to touch a little bit more on like the, the digital, like streaming side and what that was like for you. Because I know like I did get one or two short films up like on Amazon and some platforms back before all the platforms were like, we're not taking short films <laughs> anymore. Yeah, yeah. And it, it was just like this almost kind of like a a sticker shock just in terms of like all the very specific assets you know that you have to provide like well we need an image in this exact sizing at no less than this resolution yeah and you can submit something that even sometimes matches that and they kick it back and it's like nope we, we need something better. So like, yeah, I don't know what, what were maybe some things you've learned in that aspect that other first time, uh, filmmakers that are working on that digital distribution should be considering. Yeah. You just, the first time you have no idea, you have no idea it's what's coming. And so <laughs> you get everything that hits you when it's your first time. It's like, Oh shoot. <laughs> Now I got to go all do all this work, you know, and when you, cause you're just blind to the fact that there's going to be a lot of work in the marketing and distribution. Mm-hmm. And, uh, even with the electronic press kits, the same thing goes. It's like, if you know, you need to make it and you have the checklist of what you need to make, you can be doing that day one of post-production. You know what I'm saying? Some of this right. stuff really should, doesn't have to be in the distribution phase. And the same thing goes for the poster and for the, you know, like the poster can be worked on by a graphic designer. If you took your stills on, on set, which we did not, um, they can be working on that. They can be developing the, the graphics in the dimensions that Amazon needs. The cool thing is if you take Amazon spec sheet and you just, have that there and you're like, okay, check, 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 do it all, uh, work on it all. If you get that completed, that's basically all you need for digital distribution for the most part. Um, if you're doing it yourself now, if you're working with a, a distributor, who's actually trying to promote you and market and stuff like that, you'll probably need some behind the scenes and some things like that. But, but if you go through Amazon's checklist, um, you know, this type of export, you know, blah, 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 blah. Um, you'll be able to, you know, just do like one additional export and you'll be good for other sites. So I think it was good to go through it. Mm -hmm. And I think just looking to the future, it's like, this has to be built into my whole like post-production cycle, you know? Right. I don't want to be doing this at the end. I want to be doing it working on everything we know we need to work on during post-production so that when we come out, we're ready to roll. We don't, we're not lacking anything. We're not, you know, cause it's a delay. Mm-hmm. It, it all just results in a delay when you, when you hit, you hit something and there, you don't realize you have like, you know, at least a week's worth of work ahead of you, you know, it, it just causes more delay. And so, you know, what do you know? What do you, what can you do on your first time? But, it is easy, easier than I thought. Like mm-hmm. being your average videographer who knows how to get around on computers, who knows how to get around on editing softwares, um, who knows how to get around on Photoshop. Like it's it's within the scope of any one person that you know can do that. You can do it. It's not too hard. Um, but you know, I think we're gonna give that up to let a distributor take care of the next round just because 
I'd rather it all get processed through distributor and then come to us in the form of cash, right. preferably. Yep. <laughs> no, it's that great struggle of do you put in the work but save the money or do you do less work and spend the money? Yeah, yeah. You know, you're giving up money when you go with the distributor, but you're also potentially getting, you're getting way more exposure mm-hmm. and you're also, you also have the potential to make a lot more. Um, it's just, yeah. Doing it all our first time, we were very, very weary of people taking advantage of us. We were very cautious and rightly so. There's a lot of horror stories, especially in the Christian film industry, but actually more so in the film industry the more i'm reading and looking into it there's a lot of people like stealing scripts and oh it's it gets ugly but yep yeah in the christian film distribution world there's a lot of bad stories i've heard from other christian filmmakers um they sadly just they worked with people that have screwed them over and um that's that's a bummer you know you don't want that to happen you don't want that to be your story and um and so you, I just throw out that like, you gotta throw this out when you're looking for distribution for your film, try to find people that have a success record, people that have done it successfully in the past mm-hmm. and people that are, uh, that try to get some sources, some, some references, right. um, talk to people they've worked with, um, to see if these people, you know, are going to do what they say they're going to do. Um, what kind of results they've produced for those filmmakers that have worked with them. All that's important. Looking back now on like the whole distribution process of counter column. Yeah. Like, was there anything that worked like surprisingly well? Like you were almost like, like it it took you by surprise. Like, wow, that, that did way better than I thought it was going to do or something like that, that like your next film you would try to do that again unless like a distributor's like, no, we'll take care of that or something like that. There were a lot of things we did wrong on counter column. Um, but there were, you know, there were some things that, um, that went well when it comes to like the filmmaking process, which I know isn't quite your question, but Mm -hmm. we did. I feel like we had a good vibe going with team unity. And so we would do like devotionals, every morning and we would um, try to do some morale boosters here and there for our people. And that definitely like, I think helped everyone have good memories when they look back on the filming of counter column. Right. Um, Distribution side of things. I really think we had the opportunity to get a lot of people talking about what they thought about the film. And I think we would do that on a whole nother level if we did another film. Mm-hmm. So that did go well, getting reactions to people seeing the film. We'd probably produce that earlier. Like what, what we did was we had a premiere and then it came out in theaters the next day and we um, had filmed the reaction shots to people, like people reacting to the film. We had filmed it like on our premieres night. Right. We'd probably like spread that out a little so that we like, but we'd still do that, you know, filming people's reactions, putting those pieces together for marketing i think that that does well helps people connect i'll just say we'll probably try to um do more to diversify the reaction shots um i something we didn't do was have like a for the film since it's military you know we didn't have like a military showing Mm -hmm. but that would have been great to get people in uniform giving their thoughts about the film and and trying to get a lot of different people, especially in the target audiences you're trying to reach, um, especially in the, you know, whether it's non-believers trying to have a, have a screen, an early screening for, for people that aren't Christians or wouldn't call themselves Christians and getting their reactions to the film. Um, you know, just stuff like that. Like it's hard for me not to see ways to just improve upon what we did, but I would just say that that was one marketing aspect that I think worked out pretty well. So then what would be like one piece of advice you would give to another like first time feature filmmaker about the distribution process? Definitely take time to find a distributor. Don't, don't rush that. Um, 
get very comfortable talking about money and you got to shoot straight with your questions and just be straight up honest with people in those meetings, those potential distributors and just say, Hey, you know, what's, what kind of numbers are you expecting? Um, you know, what kind of numbers have you seen in the past? What does that translate into what we, what's our cut, you know, with those kind of numbers and, um, really ask them big time about, are they going to market the film for you? And what costs come out before proceeds are split, you know, and, and, and is that cost coming out of the total or is that cost coming out of our cut, you know, mm-hmm. cause they could be keeping their cut and then deducting their marketing costs out of our cut, or they could be deducting their marketing costs out of the total cut, um, which is a better situation for you. So just, you gotta ha- have this conversation, you know, these questions and these conversations and, um, don't be unrealistic in your expectations of your film. Uh, especially if it's your first film, it's not going to make money for you for the most part. Like unless you just spent hardly anything on it, um, then maybe you'll make your money back. Um, it's, it's hard to make money off of your first film. It's hard to make money off of a, a film with no name actors in it. And you know, it's hard to even find a distributor sometimes mm-hmm. uh, for your first film. And, uh, but they, they will take it. Like there are distributors that'll take your film and they'll put it places for you. Um, and that's what we would do if we did it again, just realize like any money is better than no money. And it is easy to just call it quits and be done. And you didn't make a single dime. And so it's better to get it out there with somebody, but make sure that they are actually going to be paying you money. Um, I guess distribution, even if you work with the distributor, what I've heard in the indie world is you're going to be a full-time marketer for your film, whether you're working with the distributor or not. A distributor is essentially a uh, placement for your film. Right. And so you got to see it in that context. A distributor is not the answer. It's not the, um, oh, I'm going to make a ton of money automatically. It's, oh, my film will actually be out where people can watch it easily. Mm-hmm. And so then your job is to help move your audience to go watch it in those places. Um, and so just kind of see that, be, you know, it's a full-time job to push people to see your film initially. Um, but then you got to realize it's even more of a full-time job if you're self-distributing on top of that. And so I definitely recommend like trying to find a distributor. Kind of starting to wrap things up here. I did want to ask, um, like what advice you have as a filmmaker to other producers or even just filmmakers in general about the work life balance, uh, realm of things, especially cause I know you're honestly probably the closest thing to a newlywed I've had on the show. So my story is I started dating the love of my life right when we locked the edit for counter column and we were married just uh, a few months after our limited theatrical release. So it all kind of happened during counter column, to be honest. Um, and like Abby is amazing. My wife, Abby is just incredible. Um, and being married has changed a lot for me. Learning to balance work life and personal life is a challenge. And, uh, yeah, I just, you know, because for the first time it's like someone else is affected when I spend those late nights editing, you know, when I, um, have to go away for a day or so, uh, because of a project like, and so it doesn't mean like those things can't happen. It's just, I have to be careful that I'm not going to let work control my life. And so at the end of the day, you know, I am willing to drop whatever I'm doing. Um, and even my whole career and prioritize my wife and my family someday. Um, because that's the most important thing. And so, you know, you just, I think as producers, we're used to making a lot of sacrifices for our projects, you know? And uh, so you just got to transition into that willingness to make sacrifice for your family and um, your wife. And uh, just, I think what's really helped us in our marriage is communication about our expectations. And so, you know, if, I'll try to hear Abby out about, you know, what does she expect for the week? What is she, you know, 
big thing was our evenings together. Um, she wanted, you know, we, we like to spend our evenings together. And so, um, being <laughs> disciplined to work my schedule where I'm getting up early and I'm finishing my work before the evening, you know, mm-hmm. and that I'm working while I'm at the office, you know, not just goofing off or getting distracted with busy work. Um, I got to work on what pays the bills and not necessarily passion projects. Um, it, it, you know, it changes everything. It changes your day. You know, there's less you can do for free, um, because you have to pay the bills. You have to provide. Um, and, and so it's a good transition at the end of the day. Um, I see it as it's making me, especially as I look forward to hopefully making another film eventually, mm-hmm. um, being married has, it's helping me not get burned out next time because I know, I know, I know, I know I have to rely more on other people, which I should have done the first time around, you know, and I know, I know, I know I cannot be, um, behind schedule, you know, I have to be working when I don't feel like working and not procrastinating and being efficient at the office and all these things to adequately prepare and plan, uh, so that I don't, you know, destroy myself and my, uh, my relationship with my wife when I make another film, you know? Um, and so, you know, it's, it's such a good thing. Um, because I think being married is helping me learn a proper personal and work life balance Mm -hmm. when before you're single and it's so easy, especially as a producer, especially as a, someone in the media producing space, it's so easy to let work consume your life. Um, because that's all you have. I got to say no to the long hours at the end of the day. And that means getting people that can help me so that I don't have it all on myself. And as I'm talking about this, something I'm thinking about is that whole idea of being a weak link in a project. Mm -hmm. I think we've all had these experiences where there's too much relying on us. And at some point it bottlenecks and we have, we're slowing everything down because there's too much on us. Yeah. And that's something I just really hope to move away from more and more in my business with MJ multimedia, I do video work and website design and, you know, and then also filmmaking with not that kind of movie productions, hopefully moving more and more away from that. Everything's on me. Everything's up to me because that's, that's where you have to make those harder decisions Mm -hmm. that tempt you to compromise and they tempt you to compromise your balance, your your good balance, you know? Um, I don't want to have to work a late night because I didn't get enough help, you know, or I didn't plan my project accurately enough. And, and another thing too, is I'll just be super honest. I, I struggle with, um, time management. I, and I'm bad at estimating time. And so when I say, Oh, it'll take me a week, might take me two weeks. You know, if Mm -hmm. I say, Oh, it'll take me, I'll be there at 1030. Maybe I'll be there at 1045 or 11. And that's something my wife is so much better in is that time management and that, um, kind of inner clock she has. Yeah. And it's a blessing. It's a point of contention sometimes because, you know, anything you're weak at and your spouse is strong in is going to be a point of contention at times. But Um, I've learned to really, really, really appreciate her sense of time and I'm trying to let her leverage that for me and, and like trying to help, uh, you know, it's a pride, it's a pride issue on my part to like want to control my own life and like not let her have a say and like, Mm -hmm. Matthew, that's actually going to take you longer than what you're thinking. And no, no, it's not. No, it's not. Um, but the more I let her do that, you know, it's just, it helps me, it helps me actually accurately schedule myself and schedule my time. And so, you know, it's stuff like that. It's just like, um, for, for us, it's, I, I'm trying to let her use her strength to help me, um, in that, 
mm-hmm. balancing that proper balancing of personal and work life and, and planning for time off mm-hmm. is important. Planning for time off and real time off, like real time away from work where it's like you're, you don't have your phone or you don't have your laptop for me. It's probably my laptop, you know, yeah. I don't have all those distractions of work that if, if I get 10 emails from a client, I won't know about it. You know, right. <laughs> like I got to not know about it to not feel bad about not responding to it. Um, and so, <clears throat> yeah, stuff like that really important. And so it's a process. We're still growing. I've only, you know, we've only been married for a year and a half. Um, but God's just been really faithful and he's been helping us and I've just been thankful, really thankful for my wife. So shout out to Mrs. Jordan out there. If you're listening to this. Nice. So then, and this to some degree kind of ties into the whole work life balance thing. Yeah. But my final question is what advice do you have for producers out there about kind of balancing time working on multiple projects? I mean, for me as a believer, I just, my biggest recommendation is really to pray through all your projects every day, to, to be seeking the Lord about the direction for each one of them. And, um, to, at the end of the day, like, I want to know what God wants me to work the most on. And, you know, maybe I'm chasing some ideas that are not what he wants me to do long-term. Mm-hmm. And so maybe some of those ideas I can drop early cause I prayed about it and feel, you know, felt more of a piece about this or that or whatever. Um, so really like my encouragement is make the Lord a part of your pursuit of multiple projects, you know, make the Lord a part of your work, make a part Lord, the part of your producing, um, that's the best way to be an example too for all those that you work with and those that work under you if you're the one um who's setting the tone of let's pray you know and seek the lord's direction for each and every step um i think people will more be more likely to do that down the chain of command and you want to be convinced at the end of the day if you work on a feature film that you know god's put you there to do that um and there's such a confidence that comes uh, because you pray and because you, you're you more hyper aware of doors opening and pieces coming together mm-hmm. um, because you've been praying and you're, you're actually looking for the Lord's direction in creative ways. And um, so, so really, you know, try to hear the Lord's voice for direction as to what projects to focus most of your time on. Um, I do. I am juggling a lot of projects, uh, for my video business a lot of times. So I'll, I'll be like working on three or four different things at once. And the answer for time management when you're working on projects with deadlines is like working, (laughs) putting in the work that you need to put in, you know, uh, for me, it's easy to procrastinate and, Um, I just got to knock stuff out, you know, I got to not give myself too tight deadlines, but also, you know, not see a deadline as like spread the project out till that deadline. Right. But more of like knock out the project as fast as you possibly can within your work boundaries you've created for yourself of, you know, whether it's eight or nine or 10 hours a day you're willing to spend, but work on just that project for that time and, and get it done and then go to the next one. I, one thing at a time when it comes to like editing, you know, for me, right. One thing at a time, uh, or it starts to get really confusing and you lose your train of thought. You lose your creative juices. You know, you're, you're, you get on a roll with something and then you go to something else and then you're not on a roll with it anymore. And so you're more efficient when you stick to one thing at a time. Just pray through what the Lord wants you to work on each day. And uh, that's, you know, I think God is always faithful to like push me to work on the things that I don't, I'm putting off. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'll pray about it. And then I was like, yeah, I am kind of putting that off. Okay. I feel like your direction, Lord, is to work on that thing I'm putting off. Okay. I'll do it. All right. Well, we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode, but thank you so much, Matthew, for coming back on the show today. 
You are welcome, Micah. Thank you so much for having me. I loved chatting and I uh, hope we can chat again soon. And on that note, we are going to wrap up this episode of The Producer Podcast. Until next time, make sure to subscribe to The Producer Podcast, and thanks for listening.